0: Will you still need me Will you still feed me when I'm 64
1: Welcome to Senior Living Connecticut a show that explores solutions for Connecticut's families and adults striving for the best in senior living. I'm Bill Corbett, manager at Evergreen Crossings Independent Senior Living and author of the book The 2.0 Entrepreneur. We're sitting down with industry area subject matter experts in this show to find out what they've learned along the way and get them to share it with us to help families in the Connecticut area. Sitting down with me today is Rhea Patterson. She's a licensed practical nurse, a mompreneur, and owner of Connecticut Health Advocate. I've asked her to come on the show to talk about a couple of topics. And if you were listening before the break, uh, you heard us talking about once a senior is faced with uh, with some possibly long term uh, hospitalization or treatment, it can be it can be crazy for them. It can, they're not, not sure where to turn. And what we learned is that patient advocates are the type of person that can help kind of focus them and what to do next. Rhea, you talked about you were a nurse. For quite some time. Mm-hmm. Tell us quickly about that. You were a nurse and then you transitioned into becoming a patient advocate.
2: Yes. So I was a nurse in a skilled nursing facility. I did admissions and I just saw a need to be a patient advocate. i naturally a patient advocate. As I said, I've been a nurse for over 10 years, so I decided to go out on my own so I could be a driving force for the elderly well,
1: list yourself as a mompreneur mm-hmm. tell us about that
2: yes a mompreneur <laughs> so i juggle many hats <laughs> and my greatest 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 uh, job is a mom i have two mm-hmm. children i adore them in you know, my heart and soul
1: somebody wants to get in touch with you what's the best way to do that you're a patient advocate you're independent you're completely independent you're private pay do you offer an initial meeting to see if they can even use your services yes so someone can call you and say can we get together for a cup of coffee i need to find out what you do and i'm gonna gonna describe my situation to see if there's a partnership there
2: exactly yes we can do a zoom or we can do an in-person meeting
1: okay and how can they get in touch with you
2: Contact me at cthealthadvocate.com or 860-512-7221.
1: The first half we talked about the whole patient advocate thing and what the role that person plays and, and why seniors facing potential treatment really should have a patient advocate, especially if they have little or no family around to help them. And to help them navigate the the healthcare system. In fact, even if they do, a patient advocate knows how to navigate it better than the family does, right? Right. Uh, sometimes their kids can take them in the wrong direction. <laughs> if yes. they don't, if they lack that knowledge, they lack the relationships, the connections. I asked you an interesting question here, and I would like to know what if I'm diagnosed incorrectly? We put so much trust in our doctors and our nurses. What they say to us. One of the things I've always wondered is, do you ever go get another uh, assessment? But isn't that awkward? You're leaving your primary care physician, and you're going to go find somebody else and get another assessment for your situation. Do you recommend doing that, getting second opinions?
2: Well, we get second opinions if our car, um, if a mechanic says you need to fix the alternator. We Go for a second opinion. <laughs> this is your health. I advise anyone and everyone to get a second opinion.
1: How it's- do you do that, though? If you have a primary care physician supposed to be your gatekeeper, how do you get a second opinion? Like How do you do that? I'm not even sure.
2: Transparency is best. So I would talk to your PCP, your primary care physician, and tell him or her, I would like a second opinion. Who do you recommend?
1: So they would provide the person.
2: They can always provide the person, yes.
1: All right. Yes. That doesn't create awkward situations if you're asking your PCP for someone else to to diagnose or, or to take a look at your situation?
2: Primary care physicians often make referrals to specialists. So oh, if you okay. need a cardiologist, your primary care can refer you to that. Or you can reach out to a patient advocate who can give you options.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so the question I wanted to ask is, What if I'm misdiagnosed? Mm -hmm. What if we are? What if we discover (laughs) that we are? You brought a guest with you today uh, for the show. Lynn Alberti has joined us. Lynn, nice to meet you.
0: Thank you. Nice to meet you,
1: too. You actually had that happen to you. Oh, yes. All right. I'm very interested to hear what happened and what you did about it. So let's hear your story.
0: Well, it was back in uh, September of 2013, and I woke up one morning and my stomach was swollen. I had no idea what was going on. I had been seeing a cardiologist at the time because a year before I was diagnosed with AFib, atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, and I had some high blood pressure. I called my cardiologist and they brought me in and he did some tests on me and uh, I went back in to get the results of the test and he told me that I had cirrhosis of the liver. In the meantime, I was not a drinker. I wasn't a drug addict. I was a healthy eater. There was no reason in the world why oh, I should gosh. Why I should have cirrhosis of the liver. It just didn't sit well with me. And I kept saying to him, something's wrong. You need to do more tests. And he kept saying, well, I saw the x-ray and your liver's enlarged. And I went home baffled. So every day that went by, next thing you know, my legs swelled up, my feet swelled up. And then it went to from that to diarrhea. I got diarrhea. I had to put a potty next to my bed. And for the next, I don't know how many months, it was many months, I went down to skin and bones. I looked like I was anorexic, and I was near death. I was on my deathbed, and uh, I was having a hard time functioning. I fought this cirrhosis thing for so long, and I finally felt like I was so weak, and I knew I was going to be dead soon. So I just gave in, and I went back to the doctor, and I said, well, if that's what you're telling me I have, can you send me down to MUSC, Charleston, South Carolina, because I was living in Myrtle Beach at the time, South Carolina. I said, can you send me down there for a liver transplant? Because they're world-renowned for liver transplants. So he did. He sent me down there. And they did some tests on me. I went home after they, me and my son went down there. And we came home, and then the nurse called me after the test report came in. We were on the phone, and she said, Lynn, I just want you to know that you do not have cirrhosis of the liver. Meanwhile, I'm near dead right now. It was 10 months later. She said, we believe, in our professional opinion, we believe that this is heart related. Meanwhile, I had been going to my cardiologist, who was a heart doctor for this, and we want you to call him immediately. We're going to send the report over. I'm going to contact, tell them tell them to bring you in tomorrow and do more tests. That's exactly what happened. They, I called him. He brought me back in. I was in the hospital all day. They knocked me out two times. The next day, he called me and said, I had two main valves in my heart, my tricuspid valve in my mitral valve that was leaking blood massively through my body and that's what was going on and the diarrhea was the blood being filtered through my body and it was coming out that because after I started having diarrhea that's when the swelling started going down it was horrible it was just the worst thing so this first happened in September I got sick of 2013 I ended up um, like a month later having open heart surgery And it was um, August of 2014 that I had my first first open heart surgery, by the way. Okay, I've had two. So it was almost a year later. So in that whole year, I had dwindled down to skin and bones. I almost died during the operation. My recovery was real tough when I got home. It affected my body like you would not believe in more ways than one. Then I ended up moving back up north for insurance reasons. I ended up moving back up here to Connecticut because I had been living down in Myrtle Beach for 14 years. And so I moved back up here, and it was only three years later, in uh, 2017, uh, I had a new cardiologist, and he did an echocardiogram on me, because I had been feeling really bad. I got real sick for a while, for a long time. And he told me that my valve replacement that they did was disintegrating. I had to go in and have another open-heart surgery, my second one. And I found out, that the valve that the doctor, the surgeon down south put in me was the wrong valve because I was only 58 years old at the time. And the valve that they should have put in me was the mechanical valve, but they put the bio valve in me. And they usually only use the bio valve, I found out, on people that are in their 80s and 90s. I was only 58 years old at the time, and I had a lot of life in me, and I did a lot of stuff. I moved a truck with my son, my furniture, everything. I was just too active for that kind of valve.
1: Now that you've been through this experience... Um, we're about out of time, but what suggestions do you have for anyone who's gone through this or could go through this? Uh, I wish. What's I... your number one thing to, 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 to advise people?
0: Don't trust the doctors completely. Research everything. Like she said, get a second opinion, which I wish I had done. I didn't do that because I felt like I didn't have time because I, I felt like I was dying. I didn't have time to get a second opinion and go through all that. I was too sick, but I should have anyway. I should have pushed myself to do it. But when you're that sick... You just don't do it sometimes. You don't do the right thing.
1: So did the two of you work together?
2: We met. I was looking for a roll-top desk. (laughs) (laughs) And I just met her, heard her story, and I feel like a lot of people can definitely benefit from hearing her story. When
0: Rhea tells you that she loves seniors and everything, (laughs) she really does.
1: So uh, quickly, how can people get in touch with you, Rhea, if they would like to talk to you?
2: They can call me at 860 512 7221 or send me an email at contactme at cthealth.com.
1: Lynn, uh, thank you so much for telling your story. Oh, you're um, welcome. I appreciate it. If one person uh, learns from this, it's going to be all worthwhile. Rhea, thank you for coming in and joining me. Thank you for having me. I've been meeting with uh, Rhea Patterson patient advocate and we've been learning all about the things that you need to know navigating the health industry you've been listening to senior living connecticut a show that explores solutions for connecticut's family and adults to help them get the most out of life and to really enjoy the life they have now listen to us next week we'll see you then
0: when i'm sixty four